What's up, podcast listeners? I'm Christina Lofranco, and I'm tuning in from Santa Cruz, California. Lately, I've been really excited about launching the Santa Cruz Board Writers Club and also getting back into skinny dipping. So on that note, enjoy this episode of the best podcast ever. All right, Christina from Santa Cruz, be honest. You're skinny dipping. You're calling in from Santa Cruz. The water is 52 degrees. That's fucking freezing. You're really skinny dipping this time of year. More power to you. And the rest of you need to step your game up with these intro voice memos because Christina from Santa Cruz just blew you out of the water. For those of you who don't know, if you're tuning into this podcast from somewhere around the world uh, and you have a 20-second message for me, send it to me. Record it on your voice memos and then uh, email it to me. My email is kyle at kyle.surf. Uh, try and keep it under 20 seconds. Something funny. Maybe you have a beach cleanup uh, in the near future that you'd like to promote. And I will play it at the beginning of my show. I am just getting back into the swing of things. After a big week of surfing, I had the privilege of witnessing some of the biggest waves of my life on Thursday out at Mavericks. Pete and I talk about that a bit in this conversation. So uh, what do I have coming up? I'm doing a lot of writing right now. Uh, Some of you know I'm working to pitch a TV show called Spotlight Blue. It's all about using water as this lens to look at interesting ideas and issues and cultures. And I'm working with a production team and we're pitching it in February. So fingers crossed. uh, We'll see what happens. But it's been a good process to actually sit down and write the episodes out. And I'm quickly learning that there's a big difference between a good idea and a good episode. There are plenty of good ideas out there, but to turn an idea into a three-act or a five-act structure uh, is something different. So it's been a good, um, good experience for me to sit down and write it out. Before we get going, I wanted to thank everyone who donates to this show on Patreon. Big cyber high five to all of you out there. And for those of you who listen to this podcast but do not yet donate, I would like to encourage, cajole, and browbeat you into giving me a few bucks a month. Think about it this way. If you go to a coffee shop once a month say you're hanging out in there for an hour and a half, you're probably going to spend five or 10 bucks on a latte and a croissant. And if you're listening to this podcast, even just once a month, you're hanging out with me for an hour and a half. So if you have the cash to donate five, 10, 20 bucks a month to this podcast, I would really appreciate it. Um, Despite having a lot of you listen to this show, I only make a couple hundred bucks a month um, off this podcast, and that money goes to driving around California and interviewing these amazing guests. So um, if you have the cash, please head over to my website, kyle.surf, click the link at the top, and become a patron. If you don't have the cash, totally no pressure. Um, Just keep listening to the show, share it with a friend, write a nice comment, um, give it a rating on iTunes or whatever it is that you're listening to. There are plenty of ways to support the show that don't cost you anything. Um, So 
Wanted to throw that out there. This episode is with Pete Mel. And it was fucking awesome because Pete Mel's the man. He is the former commissioner of the Big Wave Tour. Um, he is the 2013 Mavericks competition champion. He is a commentator on the World Surf League. And he's a real thoughtful guy. Um, I could have him on a few times a year and it would not be redundant. Um, and this conversation did not disappoint. So... Um, without further preamble, please welcome my man, Mr. Peter Mel. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. When we're on. Wow. Yeah. Straight to it. Mm. Big gulp of coffee to get started. You like the mug? I do. Kick today in the dick. It's uh, it's usually a, it's a good motto. Yeah, it is. I look at a little it. Little vulgar, but <laughs> sometimes you need it. <laughs> I, f- I flex in front of the mirror with that. And just drink coffee. I'm like, what am I gonna do? Today? <laughs> I'm gonna kick today in the dick. That's There's what a I'm lot of good do. mottos out there, and and that one right there, it's very simple and definitely <laughs> gets to the point. <laughs> you ever feel like uh, like mottos are kind of compensating for things, like people who like need the most help and are like really grasping for confidence are the ones who are like standing in front of the mirror being like, you're beautiful. You're strong. You're confident. You're beautiful. You're strong. You're confident. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the ego, right? And there's some that have a deflated one and there's ones that are inflated. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of want to be right there in the middle of, uh, and that's, I think, true confidence. This is true. Um, what a day the other day, man. What a week. What a week. What a week. I mean... Um, reflecting on, you know, how slow this season has been, um, you know, for big waves, especially at Mavericks and even on, you know, on Oahu and the Pacific in general. I mean, go over to the Atlantic, different story, right? It's been pretty active over there. You know, I was reflecting on, on, uh, you know, not just the season, but also the year and in general, like what's been happening this 2017. I mean, we had, uh, probably one of the strongest hurricanes, in the east coast ever recorded right i mean um this swell last week was one of the biggest i've ever witnessed at at mavericks uh the fires you know two major fires in california that um you know destroyed many many homes the mudslides i mean there's been a lot of natural stuff going on and it just is kind of like wow the earth and its energies are changing uh, yeah, you know, and it's if you can say it's you know global warming. I I like to say that there is some changes happening in the atmosphere that have uh, you know in our environment that are that are um, you know the Earth's fighting back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it really uh, changes uh, for me. It changes my priorities. Like when I see this, like when the shit hits the fan so close to home. Like the Ventura fires were one for me, where I was like, whoa. I spend a, a lot of time in Ventura. Like, that's not just this far-off place. This isn't a story that I'm reading about, and then I move on with my day. Like, I'm texting friends who are right there. And it, um, 
it puts I mean I, I think that it rearranges my priorities things that like used tend to annoy me on a day-to-day basis don't annoy me as much when mother nature and all of her wrath is just just reminding us that we're here for a blink of time and then going to be gone so may as well enjoy it enjoy it yeah and I think that that's something that I mean and you look at uh, you know, you start going into the politics and all the crap that's happening in the news, you know, that humans are doing, you know, and humans are disrupted by it and they're feeling this energy, you know, um, it's, it is truly crazy because some of the stuff that is unprecedented that I don't remember ever seeing happen have happened recently, you know, from in, in politics, just politics to sexual assault to, you know, the women's March to, I mean, it's just, it's, it, there's this unity, but there's also this segregation happening. It's just this really drastic yin and yang. Yeah. Yeah, and we're paying more attention to politics than any other time in my life. Oh, absolutely. Like the conversations that I'm having with my friends are focused on politics like they've never been before. Yeah, well, and it's a lot of its age. I think as we get older, you, you, you start to see what the effects that are affecting you personally. Yeah, you're like, wait, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> this is going to affect my life. Yeah, yeah. This isn't right? just entertainment and anymore. it's not only local politics, you know, it's obviously global. I mean, this guy's freaking sending out texts saying that we're going to get blown up in Hawaii. I mean, that how? I mean, that's another one. Like, what the fuck? How did yeah, that happen? Like, talk about people who we know, like yeah. friends that we have. Yeah, they, they had half an hour where they thought that they were done. And that's just crazy to me. I mean, and so anyway, there's been a lot going on. And, you know, you, you saw talk about, you know, kick today in the dick. It's like you got to have that kind of simple motto, you know, because of the fact that stuff's going down. And, yeah. and it's it's um, and it's happening on a much more regular basis every day. There's something something happening that that I've never heard happen before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that it forces um, like when there are things that are so big and out of our control, it forces us to think about what is in our control. Like, what in our day can we control? I mean, that's kind of a theme of big wave surfing, right? There's something so big that you, that is so out of your control. What are the small decisions that you can make that are going to better your chances? Which gets us back to what, you know, this week, right? And um, some some reflection on the week. Um, for me, I was like, I was so hyper-focused on on everything relating to, you know, survival mode. Um, it is your right. Preparation was all the key. I mean, example being, I had Marcus Sanders call me from Surfline, and it's like, hey, what does preparation look like for you? And I, I had to kind of think about it for a second. And this was right before we had the string of swells happening, and I was like, you know, the next thing I'm doing, I'm I'm working on every detail of of my watercraft, every detail of every surfboard I have, leashes to you know everything I can to prepare that I am in control of. Like you said, I had to have that at least intact. A hundred percent. I wasn't just going to frivolously, you know, show up and need leash strings or, you know, fin screws or wax, you know, like I, I, I made sure that everything, um, I had in my control and which gets me into, you know, the things about water safety and, um, you know, how can you make yourself as safe as you possibly can in the lineup? What, I mean, for people who weren't there, cause most people weren't there on Thursday, how is that swell different than most that you see at Mavericks? Uh, well, uh, a lot of things. First of all, I think the if you're just straight conditions, um, you know, generally speaking, those are conditions that are not conducive to big wave riding, being that you have such a, I mean, it looked pretty, but in regards to the winds and how they're blowing, you know, they're fairly strong, fresh, good 10 to 15 knots, southeast winds, which blow right up the face. And sure enough, it like I said, it looks approachable. It looks 
amazing, but you had to be in the absolute perfect spot to be able to pick up a wave. And, um, you know, it was, it was wild. I mean, I, I look, gosh, I mean, I, I, I'm kicking myself because I think the best opportunities that day would have been to grab a, a tow rope and a, and a tow board. And, you know, I on banner and, and Jason Starks were the only two that, that made that decision. And, but I mean, in reflection on that, even, I think that they were like, kind of like, Whoa, you know, ha- we haven't done this. I mean, it's not like you can go practice anywhere around here. So, I mean, they probably hadn't grabbed a tow rope and, um, you know, God knows how long. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden you're put out in conditions that are by far some of the most you know, crazy big, um, you know, Mavericks we've ever seen. So the, uh, the raw power out there was like nothing I've ever experienced in the ocean before. It it was pretty amazing. Right. I mean, I, I, that morning I went out there with, with my son, John and pretty much knowing that John, you know, wasn't going to be surfing, but I think for, you know, for even reflecting on myself, I didn't know if I was going to be, but I showed up out there and, you know, whatever took over, I, I wanted a, a piece of it. Um, you know, I had my 10, six, I had every, all the equipment, I had all the preparation. Um, I had, you know, Frank out there as water safety and, and, you know, we had communicated about that to, to say, Hey, I might want to paddle this day. And, uh, I think that that's all part of preparation is making sure you have all that in mind. But that day, I mean, getting out there and, and, and trying to line up, I think that's personally, that's the joy of what I was doing was, was literally trying to put myself in that perfect position to be able to get one very challenging. Uh, you know, as much water was moving, I mean, literally every wave that moved you by moved you 50 to a hundred yards, you know, away from where you were just by one wave, just a swell, that energy. I mean, each and every set would push you in, you know, you'd go 200 yards off of where you were sitting before. So it was, it was, you know, you had, (laughs) you had to pay attention, uh, 100% and and it was breaking outside of the bowl too. Oh no, it was it was moving around everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, I mean, normally Mavericks, what makes it so special is that it's breaking in relatively the same area most of the time, so you can triangulate your position. But on a day like that, there are waves breaking a hundred yards outside of the bowl. Yeah, and not even a hundred yards. I mean, there was that one set that literally. I mean, I I was paddling, you know, going, oh, there's a set coming, and thinking, okay, and all of a sudden I'm I'm like I can't see outside. I'm like paddling over a swell, and I hear just, and I'm like how is a wave breaking already? Like I, I, at that point, I literally, my wetsuit was filled. I was like, Oh my gosh. And I mean, fortunately enough, that was the one really big set. As a matter of fact, that shot that you've seen kind of go around that was on my Instagram was, was the second wave of that one. And you see the whitewater had kind of peeled and, and it literally broke so far out that it had almost mushed and then doubled up on the, on the main bowl. And the second wave actually creased and came back. And that was by far one of the biggest faces I'd ever seen um, out there. I mean, it literally had just, it, it turned back at the ball. It didn't break on that outside section. It was loading up on the, you know, second reef at, at Mavs, which you can get, uh, you know, a couple waves in that zone. And it was, it was huge. I mean, that was 70 feet on the face, probably. It was gigantic. Um, not really approachable from where I was at, but shoot, if you had a tow rope. <laughs> what, yeah, what, what was that, the one that caught the boat? No, I think, you know, it was weird about that for me was that, I mean, you know, obviously when it's that big, there's waves that are moving around all sorts in the lineup. And, and there was, which was unique to me was that when that, it was during that time frame, there was like two hours the, that the buoys jumped to 22 feet, 19 seconds on the Half Moon Bay buoy, which is gigantic for the Half Moon Bay buoy. I mean, you can see those 20 foot readings way out at sea, but not the, not the Half Moon Bay buoy, which is about 30 miles off of the coast. It, uh, it was registering that about, you know, right at what, seven to nine AM. 
Um, and that's right when we were kind of out there, nine thirty, ten o'clock, it was, that was the, the time that it was just unloading and, 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 and as big as can be, you know, the conditions were better than they had, you know, cause obviously the rest of the day kind of turned to, yeah turned to crap. But so if you're out of practice towing, you're talking about how you're kind of kicking yourself for maybe not towing, but how some of those guys did, what are some of the mistakes that you can make towing someone into a really big wave? Oh, there's a, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, first off being, how's the machine run? Yeah. <laughs> right. You gotta make sure that the machine's running good. Uh, the other thing, excuse me. The other thing being, uh, the equipment, you know, this is sometime you're, you're riding a board that maybe is really old. Um, and maybe that's an old faithful. I think that's probably what I would have done, but you're also riding a, a wave that has been, you know, as big as you've ever had. Right. And going as fast as you ever had with conditions that are probably a little bit different. So all of those factors come in. You don't want to dig a rail. You don't want to make a mistake. Any mistake is going to be compounded, you know, fivefold. So uh, that and then the driving, you know, like getting yourself into position and, and making the right choices. You know, usually you're like, oh, I'm going to go for the biggest one. But, you know, maybe warming up is a good thing. Yeah. So, like I said, there's so many factors that and, go into it. And when it's that big, man, like it was... Uh, so I was on a boat with uh, Russell Burke um, and Nick Von Rupp and Hotman um, and Bradley Norris, Aussie kid. And um, like they were like, have you seen waves this big out here? And I was like, absolutely not. Like I, it was difficult for me to compute how slowly, like everything looked like it was in slow motion breaking that far out the back. And um, when we were going out riding over some of those swells, it felt like I was in the perfect storm. Like, up over a swell and back down a swell. And those kids paddled out, man. And like, I was, I straight up had to do a little like self-talk and I was like, you know what, dude, this is too big for you. Don't, don't do this. This is fucking stupid. And I was like, I was shaking on the boat, like being just that close to that amount of energy. Um, and it was like, I, in retrospect, I feel really good about it because we didn't have our own safety team out there. Um, we were relying on someone else who we weren't in direct contact with to pick us up if shit hit the fan. As you said, there was south wind, so it was going sideways up the face. So the chances to hit a chop going down a really big wave and fall were huge. And like, yeah, at the end of the day, like I, just, I also just don't know that I have that in me to like take off on a wave that big and feel confident in doing so. Um, so I ended up staying on the boat and, and, and just I think that's, there's a lot of respect for the, for you for doing that because, um, it's not easy because, uh, you know what we do, we like to ride big waves. We like to challenge ourselves and sometimes being able to say, Hey, this is too much. Isn't a bad thing. It's, yeah. a, it's actually a really good thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so a lot of respect to you for well, doing that. Well, thanks. I mean, I think that it's, we, it's really easy to have our identities caught up as big wave surfers, especially with social media. And there's, we're constantly getting this feedback loop of posting a photo of ourselves on a really big day and people, you're the man. Oh, that's crazy. Right on. Blah, blah, blah. And like that feels good to us. So we tend to move towards that being our identities like oh i'm a big wave surfer this is what i do it's a huge danger to be doing that right because you're like it's fucking for real on certain days and your ego can kill you really yeah anything can happen out there it's a it's a pretty wild wave yeah so i mean i think it was it's something that i've 
yeah, I've reflected on because for a long time, my life, like I've always identified with being the person who would go and like paddle out or like when I was younger, I was a pretty good skateboarder and I was always the one who like, oh, I'm going to ollie off the roof or I'm going to like do something really dangerous because I'm that kind of person. And uh, I've just been reflecting a lot on how dangerous uh, like ossifying our identity can be. And how important it is sometimes to like move away and not have like for me, it's about constantly dancing the dance of not having my self-worth be externally located. Yep. No, I, and, and it is a danger, especially like you said, what, in what we do, you know, for me in, in big waves, um, yeah, I've you know, this reputation that you want to uphold, you know, I, I was out there with my son. I wanted to kind of, you know, show him, you know, how to do it. You know, I was giving a little how to, I mean, I wasn't exactly coaching or anything, but I mean, we're doing, doing, going through the motions. You can kind of understand that. And, and, and I think he can too. And that's why you, you kind of do that. Plus, you know, you look at a place like that and what it was doing at that moment, it's, you are in complete awe of, of earth and what it can do and produce. It's, it's like watching a monument. I mean, I, I mentioned that it's like, you know, Mavericks already is a, a national monument in, in regards to surfing, but when it's really doing its thing like that, I mean, that's again, like watching a perfect storm. It's like you, everyone's drawn to it. I mean, we all, you know, watch every hurricane and watch and when mother nature's, you know, volcanoes to, to mudslides, to rain, to fires, you know, everyone's drawn to this, this energy. And anyway, so it, it, you know, for me again, that's that balance of like, you know, and I, I like to think what I was doing out there, you know, I was trying to get myself in the spot, but I didn't take any true unnecessary risk. I mean, yes, I did by putting myself out there, but it wasn't like, I mean, I, there was a couple of ways I probably could have just said, Oh, I'm, I'm just going to head down and do this thing, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. But the danger, yeah. Right. But the dangers of that, I needed, I know that there was a 50, 50 chance that it was going to be a make or break situation. And at my age, I kind of went, yeah, I'm going to start going there, you know, 80 make 20, not make, you know, right. you, you start doing those kinds of odds to, to make sure that you come out on the other end and, and you don't put anybody else out in danger. Right including my son who's going to go, okay, well I'm getting swept through the rocks and now he's going to have to go through and save me. Right. <laughs> um, or Frank for that matter, which, you know, Frank Carrarte has been putting his time out there for 20 years and, you know, he's saved countless surfers, um, without them asking and, and doing it on his own accord, you know, and, and when that, when Andrew's boat, you know, flipped over, he was the first one there to, to pick up those guys and get them to safety. They weren't in wetsuits. Um, he was the, you know, f- going back in there to go help, uh, and know. then he's not looking at you. Yeah, no, I know. And, like and that, so then and you're so, si- you're sitting out there in six, sixty that. foot seas, and people are handling the boat. Yeah, and and again, that, so again in the preparation, I think it is is paramount to think of certain things first, right? Obviously, having your personal stuff that you can control, but also you know getting in communication with people that are going to help help you. You know, um, for me, Jamie Mitchell's always been a, a great person, but he had gone home, so I didn't have him to go rely on as far as water safety and, and sharing those duties together. Um, John, you know, just doesn't have enough experience, especially in waves like that, to be a, a good example of, you know, or, or a person that I can totally rely on in that really heavy situation. Whereas Frank, I can because he has so much experience. And so, I mean, I, that's the first guy I'm calling and going, hey, I want to, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of funds to help you take care of what you're doing. And that's the communication that has to happen first, you know, and then, then you start relying, okay, if you want to have photos and stuff, like get your photo boats, but that's the bottom of the list. Right. You need to get and take care of your safety, the safety of your group that you're with, 
Um, you arrange it, prepare, and I think that sometimes that gets forgotten by by a few of the, um, of the crew that show up there. Well, it's I think it's a responsibility that I mean, I'm just saying that's what I would do, and I think it's important to do it. Right for people who are traveling, big wave surfers. I mean, example, uh, you know, if I were for me, if I were going to be going to Maui, um, you know, I, I would go. Okay, who am I going with, and you know, and who am I going to be using as a as a local contact? Um, generally I stay with my uncle. He's been there for 25 years. He's got a great place right there, but who's going to be water safety. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to call the Walsh brothers and I'm going to say, Hey, DK, um, Sean, Ian, you know, I'm coming. Can I help give you guys kind of, can I use you guys, your services, you know, and what is that going to take for you from you? You know, if it's going to be monetarily, if it's going to be whatever it is, um, to, to design that safety team up front, make that communication happen. And if I and if I don't get that, I'm I'm gonna question about what I'm doing out there. Or I w- probably wouldn't go out there unless I had that first and foremost. And, right. Um, well, there's also a huge responsibility that safety teams are taking on with very little reward because if you're the only guy out there who's running safety for 15 surfers who you may or may not know, and then one of them goes down, and there's a six wave set that's coming, and you're watching the guy who paid you or the guy who you know, like it's still largely and and unfairly many times on you to kind of be this watchful eye over everyone. Well, and if, if that person were to, you know, say have a drastic accident and, or, you know, get drowned, who, who is it going to fall on? Of course, the world's going to look directly at that, that guy who's quote unquote running safety. And so, yeah, it does become a, an absolute person, uh, you know, example being I, I had a situation where I was out just on Thursday and uh, the crew that you were talking with, um, that you went out there on the boat with, you know, I, I, I had mentioned and they were watching the waves in the afternoon and it started to kind of clean up in the afternoon and it had significantly dropped luckily, but the tide had dropped as well, but the energy was not nearly like it was in the morning. It was much more kind of approachable. And I knew that these guys wanted to surf because they really didn't get a chance in the morning. So, uh, but there was no safety. I mean, Frank's boat had been, um, you know, t- drowned so it was was on the beach yeah so so no safety so a boat got capsized that morning um frank who was running safety came in to try and help with the situation and some of the boat's gear got got lodged in his ski which then got flooded so his ski was then unusable for for the afternoon yeah i mean it got caught by a wave and literally had the seats i mean it, it had straps he had everything that you possibly could have for the ski to keep it afloat if it were to get tumbled by a wave. But literally this, the whole plastic piece that actually attaches to the boat ripped off with the seat, which is, you know, and that, and that says that that what kind of energy, and that was just an inside whitewash that did that. So yeah, anyway, his, his boat was down. Um, and when I'm sitting there, you know, I'm going, okay, these guys I could just see were, were wanting to, to try it. And I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'm here. I'm not going to surf. I've got my boat and ski here. Um, you guys want to catch a couple waves? I'll I'll run safety for you guys. And it was like, okay, I was just doing them a favor, being friendly. And then all of a sudden, we're going out there, and I'm watching. There's a bunch of guys, and they're getting waves, and it was kind of cool. And I'm like, but I'm like, reflecting. I'm like, wow, this is a pretty heavy responsibility. If you know, one of these guys were to truly get hurt, and I got to go in there and risk my boat and risk my life to to help one of these guys out. It's like, that's heavy, you know, like that's a heavy deal. Like at all of a sudden I, and so I have a lot of respect for the guys that say that they're going to do that and put their you know, arm up and say, Hey, I'll, I'll be running around of safety because it's heavy. It is straight heavy because it's a big responsibility. 
And um, I think everyone, you know, out there listening should, you know, if you're going to be doing that kind of stuff, you got to, you got to take care of these guys. Right. And then the problem becomes lots of times that that guys who would be running safety get hired by photographers to take to get photos for the day because they can get the best angle. But let's say someone drops in on a big wave, the photog gets the shot, click, click, click. Then there's a wave and then there's a wave outside of that that someone is dropping into that ski and that photographer are most likely going to be focused on that next wave. They're not running safety really. For yeah. The they're, most part. they're not thinking about what's happening on the inside. If someone then no, gets mowed the shot, down. right? It's as, absolutely as you're hired as a guy to get the shot. It's a, it's less responsibility. So, you know, if you're going to get the same amount of money or more money or yeah, or more money for that example, <laughs> yeah, generally that's what will happen. Um, to not have to run the risk of going in there and having your boat get exploded and, or get hurt yourself. What wouldn't you do? Yeah. I mean, I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll put a guy on the back and shoot and shoot all day long. Um, and that's, and again, so that, that onus goes to the surfers to their responsibility. If they're going to be out there to make sure that they have their safety covered and who is that and who, you know, and you communicate it and make sure that that's, that's done or else don't surf. That's anyway, simple enough for me. I mean, I'm out there. I've got, you know, that guy's on my ski and he's running safety for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't, that's no responsibility for all the other guys, even though generally you figure that someone gets into trouble, you're going to go help. But the responsibility of, you know, picking someone up after they go through the rocks, no way. If you don't have water safety, (laughs) sorry, dude, you got to paddle back out. If you're a broken board and you have to swim in, that's the kind of things. If you're going to take that risk of not having water safety, then you're going to have to take the risk of whatever happens, happens. Uh, yeah, I think it's a very, I think it's an important thing to talk about because people can get really excited about the upcoming swell and there's so much like hype and madness and like usually nothing bad happens and that can go on long enough before then something really bad happens. So I, I think it's, it's it, great it that happened. it's, it has absolutely, it has happened. Yeah. You know, the, the worst that can happen is you die and there's been many surfers who have died doing what we do. Yeah. No, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. I think that it's good that that you're talking about it right now though and before something again really bad happens yeah and i think that you know albie lair was a prime example he brought it up there was a lot of support from you know billy kemper and and all the crew in maui and he's right you know um you know he's one of the guys that will call a spade a spade i mean <laughs> albie does not hold back in, in anything that he has to i say love on him social, I, yeah he's social like media. one of my favorite podcasts is right? with him. <laughs> yeah great because he tells it how it is yeah and he's not he doesn't care about what people think about him um he he just does his thing and he's going to have a, an opinion and it's well, a lot of times it's very valid. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he brought up that, um, the same exact scenario that happened at the big jaws swell. I mean, that was some of the biggest paddle jaws ever. And just this last swell. Yeah. I mean, so you think about that. So it started this week, you know, we just had Mavericks for Monday, Tuesday and Thursday, but you go back to Saturday and Friday, um, in Hawaii, that was a massive swell there, you know, and some of the best and biggest waves ever ridden at jaws were, were done. It was, it was a wild swell. But again, that's where this all has started, and it, and it, you know it carried over into Mavericks too. There was a lot of surfers out there who didn't have their own safety, were relying on the fact of either themselves, their inflation vests, or um, you know, or hopefully they hired somebody. But I don't think they did. I mean, because I'm I'm looking out there, there wasn't any other safety besides Frank in my eyes. Um, you know, and and I put in a little bit. You know, if I had my ski out there that I would have helped if had been, but. Overall, every ski was covered with a photographer. Um, you know, there's guys out there on their own shooting photography, and they're, that's fine. They're on their own, right? But 
Have you, um, since you've been so close to the inflation vest revolution, has your perspective on the vest changed from when you first heard about it, first started working with it until now? Look, I knew it was going to be something, and that was the one of the first questions. Like, oh, is it going to put you know people that are out there um, that shouldn't be out there, you know? And uh, that perspective, I don't think it's changed um, personally. I think that there was always the idea that yeah, there was going to be some, but I'll tell you, it's it's a game changer in regards to for me and what you know what's allowed me to go out there and and try and attempt. You know, I, I don't think I would have been out there. Uh, on Thursday, if I hadn't had that vest, because um, I have a lot of confidence in it, and I think that it's um, something that'll keep me at the surface and keep me alive, and I think it's allowed us to to push the limits of big wave paddle surfing to a point that you know now some of the waves that we've seen guys paddle into, you know Aaron Gold for that example, and is is you know, and I think a little bit has to do with the fact that that inflation vest is there, and also the fact that you know there's these water safety teams that are there with uh, that are very experienced. It's all part of it. Um, yeah, is the crowd, you know, when I look, uh, I, I saw a shot just the other day of, you know, everybody has a vest pretty much. Um, it would be silly not to, to be honest. So, you know, technology, we use, we use technology and with technology, there becomes some people that probably are in there that, that don't need to be there. Um, and that's just, I think technology as a whole. Yeah. How's uh, that happening? So let's say that you're, um, I guess the question though, is you asked me if my perspective has changed yeah, has and, it changed I, and, at all? and it hasn't, it hasn't really, I mean, I'm a little bit, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm literally one of the, our shop at Freeline Design, uh, surf shop. We're the only ones that sell these vests, uh, on the California coast. So, um, I'm, I'm selling them too. Right. So <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing these people come in and purchase these things. And I actually, when I do do that and I see that they leave the store, I actually feel good about it. I don't feel bad. Um, cause I'm like, here I am giving an opportunity for somebody to ride these big waves and save their life. So yeah, I could be bummed about that saying that's another guy in the lineup, but the reality is it's another life saved too. Right. What are the questions that you think someone should ask themselves? Who's going to walk through Freeline and potentially purchase this vest? Have you done the work? You know, have you done the experience and, and not just going, you know, I could use this as a correlation. It's like, and I've used this before, but if you're going to be a mountain climber and uh, you're going to start climbing mountains, you know, you better look at the mountain that's in your backyard first and go, okay, I'm going to climb that 2000 foot mountain and, and see if I like it. You know, you're not going to go, that looks kind of cool. I'm going to go do Everest. You know, like you need to, to do, put the time in and the work. And, and you know what? It actually becomes more of a joy because you get to, you know, you get to hit that, that summit each and every time you get, you know, and build your way up to, to Everest and you're going to be able to summit, you know, a hundred times before you hit Everest. So uh, I think, and you gain a ton of experience. So I do the work, you know, if it's the extra training that you got to do, but more or less just, just the experience of riding big waves Go Okay. For example, if you lived here, you know, go surf big steamer lane, you can get mowed there. I've been beat, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah. a, it's a really good training ground. Yeah. You know, go surf sunset beach. You know, if you're living in Hawaii, go surf these waves that, and build up. You don't have to go straight to the top 
And those are the ways where you're actually going to be catching waves, too. Yeah, and you're going to learn. You're going to learn your equipment. You're going to learn what's going to be good there. You're going to be able to train with the vest. You're going to be, you know, and then if you're doing, you know, the the training in the summertime, when the off season, you're doing the rock running underwater, whatever it is that you need to do, the Optima training, which is uh, really good, too, is that free diving training is is awesome. Yeah, those courses are amazing. Yeah, right? I mean, and and if you're doing the work, so doing the work is uh, is in, in preparing to build up to this point of, of having it. And, and I don't want, you know, like all of a sudden, like, Hey, here's your vest. I'll see you at Mavericks. You know, <laughs> like it's not, that shouldn't be the case. You know, here's your vest. I'll see you at the lane. Right. Um, co- uh, comics talk a lot about this issue that has happened since the YouTube, since YouTube has, uh, gotten really big where a co- someone who's funny who maybe hasn't done the work will make a viral YouTube video. And then all of a sudden they'll be on these huge stages in front of thousands of people. And they haven't had the 10, 15 years of grinding away in small comedy clubs to actually hone their craft and focus on the process and all of a sudden they're on this big stage and you get this kind of uh, flash uh, like flash in the pan type of comics where like they had this one viral YouTube video but it's not their skills aren't internalized because they haven't done that work on the smaller stages again and again grinding and focusing on process that's exactly what I'm talking about and it's across the board not you know you could find several examples of that exact scenario so um, you know I guess I this is where having our chat right here and someone listening, you know what, like do the work, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's much more fun to do it that way. Go do the grind. You know, you know, if you look at competitive surfing, you know, start in the amateur ranks, go do the, the junior ranks pros and then, you know, hit the QS and grind it out and maybe make the CT. I don't know. It's uh, do you think that, uh, for your whole life or most of your life, you've been a process oriented person? Like, did you learn that lesson from an early age that it's more important to focus on process than outcome? I would, yeah, I would say that. Um, I'm, I'm also, you know, as, as, you know, reflecting and looking in the mirror and really giving myself a true perspective, I'm, I'm pretty, uh, quick to do things, you know, um, without thinking. And that's something that I've had to learn, you know? So, uh, personally, um, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had any true issues come my way because of who I am personally. Like I do do things um, flagrant at times, and uh, I've had to I've had to reflect on that. And and so it's been a learning process. You know, I mean, if I were to look back in my life, man, there's a lot of decisions I made and a lot of things I did that I'm not proud of, but I'm glad that I they happened because I'm able to learn from them and and grow from them. But man, I'm still learning, and I think anyone. Um, it needs to always, um, keep learning. Is there anything that sticks out at you as like a one where you're like, man, that was a big fucking learning experience. Uh, I mean, I mean any one that I can just say that's, that was a huge turning point. No, it was a several, it was just several through my life. I mean, um, you know, whether it been through my years of addiction, which I went through, those were, were tough times for me. And, um, I was very, very fortunate that I had good people around me, uh, including my wife um, and some really close friends to be able to help me get through all that. Uh, my parents, for example, too. Uh, so those were, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened, especially in the last years of, of figuring that out, getting out of, out of my addiction. I mean, I'm still quote unquote an addict, but, um, you know, the, I've, it's been 11 years. I just celebrated 11 years and congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, you know, and that was, and sober, but man, my addiction still plays all through those 11 years. 
Um, like, we, what does that look like? Uh, there's just, I mean, for, you know, I'm very self-centered. I, uh, I have a very, you know, inflated ego. So trying to keep that ego in check. I, I do and say things at times. I'm just like, oh man, why did I, why did that come out of my mouth? You know, and, uh, and, and just being to uh, checking every day. And sometimes I won't check. Um, an example, this is a prime example this week, right? I, I, I didn't check myself. I was literally so hyper-focused on being a big wave dude that I didn't check myself. And, you know, each day you got to go, okay, how, you know, what, who have I affected in this, you know, um, you know, and making a phone call and, and checking in with the wife and saying, Hey, you know, or, uh, you know, I love you. Um, is there anything you need? Because it's been all about me for the last, you know, week and a half. And, uh, that's not fair to the people that are around you. And so I had to reflect on that. I, and, you know, and, and luckily I've got a, a mate that can help me <laughs> to reflect on that and go, Hey, look, man, you've been, <laughs> you've been pretty into yourself at some point you need to figure it out and check in. And she's right. You know, and, and, uh, you know, as much as I know that I need to be that hyper-focused to prepare for it, I also need to go and take a, take a step back and, and check in with the people that are closest to me. Um, so the, I mean, this is just this week of one of those experiences, but it, it's countless as I look back through the 11 years of sobriety and even into my, you know, years of addiction that I was, you know, full force. Do you have, uh, like a mantra that keeps you going, keeps you sober? Like a, that some like most, I read like some, some stats on like the, the amount of addicts that get clean and stay clean is fairly low. Like it's like there was a, I, I interviewed a, a guy named, um, Jeff, who's the, he was the director at passages, which is the rehab center in Malibu. Mm-hmm. So that he's like, so we had like one of the best rates of success in the nation. He's like, it was something like 11% of addicts which who, is crazy, right? who came to us would still be sober a year later. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a staggering number. And a lot of guys and girls, you know, it, it changes once you get to that first year. Um, it, it, exponentially gets better but um yeah that first year is a tough one and there's a lot of of looking internally that you have to do um for me i I think it changes uh through all the time it changes you know one thing that worked before you know you you have to find something else you know and and there's a lot of different tools that you can use um you know i was interested in (laughs) you you had a podcast about ayahuasca yeah and that's something like i'm like thinking to myself like man if i could actually talk to myself i could probably get a little deeper into what my world and so that's an interest of me um that i have again i think you have to be you have to have the ability to to morph, you know, it can't be just one thing. Um, cause that one thing can change, you know, and it could be your mood. It could be, so you have to be understanding that you have to use, you know, you got to keep adding tools to your toolbox and you got to use them all. And sometimes you can go back to one that worked, you know, meditation maybe and, and using that for a while. And then all of a sudden, well, shoot, I need to, I need to do something else. And maybe it's workouts. Maybe I got to go to meetings again and, and all of those things, I think. And if you can use them all at different times or, or, you know, use them at different, yeah. you're going to have great success. Yeah. So that guy, Jeff Denary, who I interviewed, he now is the head doctor at this uh, spot called Rhythmia down in Costa Rica, which is a medically licensed ayahuasca treatment center. And he was introduced to, to the efficacy of psychedelics in treating addiction um, through an African psychedelic called Ibogaine, um, which is highly effective in treating um, heroin addicts. 
Um, and it sounds like a horrible... I, Ibogaine sounds like a horrible experience. It tends to be a three-day trip where people look at a movie of their lives and every bad thing, everything that they have ever done that they are not proud of comes in full picture to them. And at the end of that three days, you really get the sense on a spiritual level that you do not want to continue doing that stuff. Um, and he was blown away by how effective it was in treating addicts because he had been at passages for years and years and seeing these people kind of coming back through the system. Um, it, it inspired him to go down to rhythm, go down to this spot in Costa Rica and him along with this other guy are building the center. Um, but I think that it's, I think it's important that we stay open to new potential treatments, even if we don't fully understand them. The human mind is something that's so complex and we have such little understanding of like to put psychedelics in this category with other drugs, I think is an infantile view of their potential. Well, and hundred percent. I believe that truly. And, uh, hallucinogenics aren't necessarily somebody, I mean, yes, there's people that overdid it, but overall, <laughs> I think that it's not something that you get addicted to. No. <laughs> you know, it's not like you're going to, I'm just going to take an acid for a year straight, you know? And, and especially something like ayahuasca, <laughs> like it's work, man. Like, like I went down there and I've, I've used ayahuasca several times now and like I did it the first night and I was like, all right, we're going to go back for another one of these. Like <laughs> I talked to my dead grandfather last night. I don't know if I want to do this again. Wow, I mean, it's, crazy. it is a, like, I'll say this about, um, my experience with psychedelics. Cause I do think that they've, they've helped me a lot. Just soften my view of, um, like my views around my own success, my views around like, what does success mean to me? Like, just learning how to like myself a little bit more. Mm, that I, sounds like the ego, right? You kind of yeah. you get to look at it. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And it, um, I think I could benefit from that. Well, I think that like people talk about psychedelics, like you're tripping balls, man. Yeah, yeah. You're like out there in the universe and like blasting off. It's a stereotype. Mo, I I would describe the best, my best experiences with psychedelics as a feeling of coming home. It's like a feeling of like welcome home to. And, and a frequency that is always there and we rarely slow down enough to tap into. Mm -hmm. And it's possible to tap into it without psychedelics. It's yeah, meditation, I think, is, is a place you could probably get close. But yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's uh, again, the mind is is like you said, an infantile. It, it, we really don't know a lot about it. You know, there's these chemicals that flow and um, a lot of times we love that that idea of having adrenaline and and that's part of, you know, again, how do, why do we need it? Why do we keep searching for it? Um, you know, it's like, oh, I feeling the feeling of life. And, and again, that's part of, of why I've done drugs too, is like, I just wanted to keep the game going, you know, like, um, you know, I would, I would surf big waves and that feeling and uh, that rush, that, that feeling of driving home is so good that I wanted to, to keep going for another week, you know, and I just, you know, I fill it with either alcohol or drugs and that's just not, not the way to do it. And I, well, there is a hangover from surfing big waves. Well, that's the thing is like, maybe you don't want to have that hangover. So you keep the ball rolling, yeah. you know, just like any addict will just keep going and trying to stay high. So they don't have to deal with, with the come down, which yeah. is brutal. And it is true. I mean, I, I, I witnessed it in John, you know, for example, he's, you know, he, he was out there that all three of those days, um, you know, this week in Mavericks and 
and you know come friday <laughs> you're a little grumpy yeah <laughs> and that's that's the truth of it yeah that dopamine just yeah. gets <laughs> spent man last night yeah my girlfriend was like you're in a fucking bad mood. <laughs> like, you, need to, you need to lighten up, man. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know why I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why. Yeah. And because your body was just so injected with a chemical that you love. Yeah. That, that all of a sudden there's a, there's a, a chemical that, you know, is, is compensating for that, which gets you a little grumpy. And con, but conversely though, I was thinking about this last night. I do, I really do feel a bond with other big wave surfers in a special way. I can assume a sense of closeness with some of these guys that usually would have taken more time to earn. Well, I think that there's, and the reason, look at military, for example, you know, I think that if you look at any veteran are, they're going to straight, they know how, what it is, right? (laughs) They know what that part of life is and what it does to people. And so there is this instant bond. Yeah. And, um, Similarly, so I was thinking about this. I've also experienced that sense of closeness with people who I've used psychedelics with because it does, it strips away the bullshit. It strips away the ego and who you're pretending to be. And you really do get a sense of like, oh, I like you for who you are. Like on your deepest level, what you're searching for, I identify with that. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the same thing too. So let's hang out more often. And I think that the more experiences that we can have where we do strip away that bullshit, whether that's um, surfing big waves or going on a camping trip or a hunting trip, a lot of times it is being in the presence of something bigger than us. Like maybe that's what it is, is that surfing big waves, being in the presence of nature in such a raw form or um, using using a psychedelic that allows you to be in the presence of something that's so vast that's that true bond right that is, which is which is not done by these dumb little devices that we have in our hands these dumb you know phones you look at it and you're like oh, is this reality and, and that's like to me is, is the biggest danger of our of our youth and our culture now is that that you know your value is is become something where it's in this damn technology device here which is uh, i think is very scary and i i I reflect on that. I'm like, damn, I gotta, I gotta take John out to what real energy is about. Right. And, and the phone goes away and, and you get to, to really truly get the sense of, of what it feels like to be around true, true energy and not fabricated. Yeah. Well, I think that phones make it very, t- and, and social media and any process where you're going click, 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 click through the next thing, through the next thing makes it difficult to think deeply about any one thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we were talking earlier about writing or about you know doing this, like a long conversation, conversation with somebody without being distracted by a text this or why a, this shit, my phone's off. This is why this shit feels so good, dude. Yeah. Podcasting is the most selfish pursuit I've ever engaged <laughs> in because I just get to have long conversations well, and, with and people. You know what? You're learning stuff though, right? I mean, you're getting, I mean, again, you're, you're, you're bonding and, and understanding. And I think even people listening to this stuff, it's good because, you know, maybe you're doing it in a car and you're going somewhere, but you're doing double duty here. So you're getting a little bit of understanding of what, how people people think and um, what their perspectives are in life and um, you can learn a few things and that's why I always it's so important to keep learning and and surround yourself with people mentors you know look at, at people that you you value what they've done with their lives and how they how that recipe was developed to have what you consider success and 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 looking at that success and what it is like you had mentioned that you're like okay what what is it what is success is it being on the cover of a magazine um is it being a big you know winning a big wave award is it you know is, is that really truly success um and i think 
that perspective changes a little bit as you get older. Um, but it's also, I would say, if, you know, if you're learning this stuff at 12, 13, 14 years old and looking into, you know, the lives of someone who you respect and, and learning how they got there, hopefully it's someone that you truly respect. And it's not, you know, there's because there's mentors out there that you or not even quote mentors, but people you'll look up to that aren't don't have the right recipe. <laughs> so, right. right. You want to, you want to, you want to look at those guys and, and, and those women that, you know, their, their success is defined by, by, you know, positive and, and good moral values. Yeah. Is there anyone in your life right now who you, um, really look up to? Or? I, to be honest right now, like it's my wife. Um, you know, I, I've looked at Atara. She's like, she's been someone that, I, I don't know how she deals with me. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> uh, and, and, and she's been so helpful to, to, you know, to, cause she can see it so clear to her and I don't, I'm blinded by, by a lot of things. And, you know, like that's somebody I respect really a lot right now. Um, I have another uh, few people in my life um, that, that, you know, guys, I mean, it's a, my sponsor, right. Who, I can tell him anything and he can call, call my BS pretty quickly. And it's funny because I'll, I'll try and BS him and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, and he'll kind of like, yeah. And then somehow he'll come around the corner with something that, you know, he, he tells me straight, you're, you're BSing me <laughs> and I know it, <laughs> but he says it in a way that you're just like, oh gosh. And then I learned something right about myself. And he does it in a way that's not confrontational and, and it's, it's just like, whoa, you know? And so those are the types of people that, you know, and, and, and sometimes they could be uncomfortable to be around. <laughs> yeah. Well, right? they, well, they can because they're not going to stroke your ego. Yeah. It's nice to pad yourself with a bunch of minions who will yeah. stroke, well, your, I mean, I just, stroke I, your ego all day long. I, an example being that damn device, right? You fucking put a post up, dad, I got 6,000 likes and I had all these comments about how cool I am and how ballsy I am. Like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, it does feel good, but it's a very, very shallow um, and, and it's just a quick fix and it's, and it's BS really, truly. I mean, yeah, there's some good friends that are in there saying some stuff, but overall it, it needs to be much deeper, uh, in there. And, and, uh, you know, I know that. Yeah. So. There's a, one of my favorite books of all time is called waking up. It's by a guy named Sam Harris, um, about, it's a book about spirituality without religion. And there's this point in it where he's talking about honesty and how he has this friend who is a writer or it might have been lying. So Sam Harris has wrote, written a couple of really good book, books. One is called Lying, and it's all about how we lie, like how everyone lies. Yeah, and and, we, and I've, I've been, I'm guilty of it. And, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Everyone's, everyone's guilty of it. And he talks about this, this point where he has this friend who was um, a writer. And I believe this, this is the story. He had a friend who was a writer who wasn't a very good writer. And he was asking Sam about like, hey, how, what do you think about this? And Sam was like, I, I, you know, I don't think that it's very good. I think that you have a lot, you have a lot of growing to do in this. And like, you could, you know, I, I want to give you constructive criticism and like, this might be hard to hear. And he said, you know, I could have said, you know, you're great. You're doing well. That would have been dishonest. But I can tell you one thing is if, if that friend ever asks me for advice again, he knows that I'm going to give it to him straight. Which is hard to do. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Especially, I mean, especially people that you may, you know, you don't have a true relationship with, like, you know, but that's how you grow a relationship. Yeah. Right? 
um, you know, maybe that person will go, I'm not ever doing that again. And all of a sudden that relationship, but that's not going to be, that's yeah. not somebody you'd probably want in your life. That's not going to tell you how it is. Yeah. Well, you can be kind to people yeah. while still being honest. Yeah. Like I think that people have, then like, that's, that's y- how it should be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You don't need to be a dick. You don't need to like <laughs> smear them into the ground. Yeah. Like, yeah. You didn't actually get barreled on that wave and you don't really have any w- worth in this world at all. But, yeah. um, <laughs> anyway, you can kind of just stop, stop at the first one. Um, yeah, man. So what's um, what's keeping you out there on days like Thursday? Uh, midlife crisis? No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it, I I already kind of, well, it, there's different phases in, in what I've been doing. Um, I think for me personally, what's inspired me lately is, is my son. I think that he's had a desire to kind of go out there and be out there uh, in, in some bigger waves. And I've been able to help him get him some boards and, you know, get him the inflation vest and, and help with the training and, and getting him and understanding and getting him comfortable. Uh, so that's kind of re- inspired me a lot. Um, I think I put in, you know, a good couple years in developing the competitive side of big wave surfing. And I think I put in some dues there and, and gave up uh, a bit of, you know, competitive opportunities because of that. And, uh, so I feel like, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So I still feel like I, I have a desire to be out there. And, you know, a prime example is that Thursday, you know, you're looking at these waves. Um, you know, there's there's one tow team out. I'm out there. I know that the winds are going to change at some point, and I'm seeing some of the b- biggest massive waves. I'm like, what? Wh- it wasn't a, even a question. I really wanted to participate. Um, whether I caught a wave or not, I wanted to to feel it and understand it more and learn. And so it, that desire is still there. So that was why um, I put myself out there and. You know, now it's a, it's a different playing field than it used to be. You know, when I first started surfing out there in the '90s, um, it's a much more crowded lineup. There's a lot higher talent. There's a lot of guys that want big waves now, and so it's it's I have to I have to share. It's not like I could look at a big wave. You know, you know, ten years ago there's only a handful of guys that would want it, and they may not even be out there that day. So now there's you know pretty much everybody out there who's centered in the in the bowl wants a big one, and so that landscape has changed but so it's made it harder to get to get good waves but you know and especially since nowadays i'm not taking nearly the risks that i used to you know i I think that if i'm going to choose a wave generally speaking i'm going to it's going to be a higher percentage of a make rather than just being able to be a little bit more reckless when you're younger although i did take a pretty nasty wipeout on on monday um which didn't feel good did you yeah oh yeah no i i had a, a a nasty one it was like my third wave and, uh, I got hung up a little bit and, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as ugly, but it was, it was a long hold down. It was, I slapped my head. So I got slapped a little silly. Uh, I came up and I was like, kind of did disorientated and, you know, it, it was probably a second and I turned around and there's the next one just literally just, and I didn't even get a breath. And I was like, Oh man. And, you know, and it, it, it it scarred me a little bit for, for the rest of that day, for sure. I mean, I went back out there. I ended up riding, you know, another couple of waves, but th- it took the wind out of my sails. So it, you don't want to do those mistakes very often. Greg Long told me something once that really stuck with me. He says, big wave surfing is kind of like lives in a video game where it's like you only have so many lives before it's game over. So on a day, like even if 
even if it's not something so traumatic, it's going to rock you hard enough that like if you get a couple of those in that day, you're done. You're no, done. It's, it's, I mean, it's a, it, you say lives, but yeah, that's actually the energy level. Like when you used to have that, that game that had the energy level, yeah. you get punched, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it <laughs> depletes it. Yeah, yeah, it depletes it and depletes it, depletes it. So anytime you get rocked, your energy level is low and either you got to recharge it and sit on the sidelines um, or you surf at that low energy level which takes away from confidence. It takes away from your abilities, your sharpness. So yeah, it's truly, you know, you don't want to make mistakes. Um, you know, if you're in a competition, it's, it's compounded because you're surfing a competition in one full day. So one bad wipeout. I mean, I, I have a lot of uh, respect for guys that can take those beatings and come right back out and deal with it again. You know, it's not, it's a lot easier when you're younger, but definitely a lot harder when you're older. Yeah. What would you say you are focusing on most right now in big wave surfing? learn like what are you learning what are you you're talking about constantly learning and always well for me it's equipment yeah. i think that that you look at at surfboards as a whole it's all theory you know there's there's some obviously some um you know there's you're riding this equipment in, in certain ways but in big waves there's not a lot of of change in equipment and i think that that's something that i've been looking at and experimenting with you know and i think that toe surfing was one of the few things that really helped kind of accelerate design uh you know you look back on some of the first toe equipment and where that went to and it did it in a very short period of time and i think that that's helped a lot is in regards to uh what equipment changes and I, i'm open to looking at different designs and that's what i've been experimenting with and it's also giving me a little bit more desire to be out there to try and you know, you know draw a different line yeah i mean kelly's an example of kelly slater you know, he's been at this for a very long time and he's still competing and he still wants to compete and he's using different avenues of motivation. And, you know, there's a couple of years there where equipment was a major part of his motivation, you know, and, and then all of a sudden maybe it's a, another athlete that you're, you know, driving for that allowing, allowing you to, to have motivation. For me, the motivation in big wave stuff is that I know that my competitive years are probably coming to an end. Um, and so I just wanted to give, you know, I feel like I have a, enough to give for a, a couple more events and that that would be cool and i also want to see equipment ad, advance and so i want to you know experiment with that so specifically what are you exper experimenting with um i've got a couple different designs of material i mean i i've, I've been really well supported by channel islands um and, and I, I love what they've done to me they've given me my equipment that i am no 100 percent that's going to work in all conditions but then I've gotten uh, a couple boards from a, a guy from Bob Pearson here in town. He's been, you know, riding twin fins and the twin fins are something in my mind or dual fins or, you know, two fins <laughs> are something that I think is that, you know, I four fins were were something that I really I was one of the first, you know, along with with uh, Nathan Florent or sorry, Nathan Fletcher that that took four fins into big waves. And, you know, that was a, a something that was a. a a revolution to me because I all of a sudden this design worked really well um, and that's kind of become a standard uh, and now I feel like even just going down to two you know that, that you even go faster and you so feel like you get more squirt off the bottom just just uh, you know when your boards laid on a rail and, and you're going down the line and you're going fast it doesn't it doesn't have as much of a it doesn't get to a certain point and, and slow down it, it just keeps wanting to go um, you know and, and Tomo uh, Daniel Thompson's you know I ran into him three years ago and I asked him, you know, and he's, he's got this really unique theory on what he has for surfboard design. He uses the golden ratio, which is a math formula that he uses in his design. And I really love that kind of thing. Cause it's developed by nature. 
you know, it's, uh, you know, broccoli spears and all these different things are kind of done by the golden ratio. Right. And he uses that, that math theory, um, in a lot of his design. And I was like, I'm intrigued by that. So I was like, Hey, have you ever made a, a big wave board? You know? And, and he said, no, he hadn't. I mean, he's made boards for step ups and stuff like that, but he'd never made a, a board for a, a huge surf. And I said, you know, I'd really love to see what you'd come up with, you know? And we talked about it a little bit, this is what I think would work. And, and then he designed this board and I ended up writing it. And the thing was as fast as a surfboard as I've ever been on. Um, and then, you know, we, we discussed it further and he made another one. He made one for Slater. He's made one for Dorian. He made a batch of like four or five of these boards that are just now getting kind of used. Um, I think Kelly used his a couple of times. Um, Jamie's used his, I used mine once this week and you know, it, it, again, it's, it's a different feel than even the first one. Um, and I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around all of that stuff. So it's just that kind of inspiration is coming from design and he uses, you know, they're using EPS, which is, you know, styrofoam cores, which everyone was like, no, we can't use EPS in, in big waves, but it bounce. Yeah. It, it, because of the material itself, innate material itself, it has a, has a different feel. Um, you know, maybe it is that bouncy feel, but I mean, Bob's been using EPS on all of his boards and there's those to great success. You look at Jamie Mitchell, what he's been doing, Pat Shaughnessy's writing all these boards and I don't know if he's using EPS or not, but if it's a Bob, generally, I think a lot of his boards are done. Um, and Bob Pearson's who I'm talking about. He uses, you know, the styrofoam cores with, with epoxy resins. So it's something that's, it's, you know, it's in its infancy. And I think that there's a lot to be said about design because we don't get to do it, you know, every day. You know, we only get to do it maybe five times a year if we're lucky. So, and if you're chasing it, maybe 10 times a year. And you really don't get to see that learning curve happen as quickly. Right on, man. So that's inspire, inspiration. Yeah. Me. No, I, lo- I love your outlook, man. And I I really enjoy these conversations. Oh, we could go for hours, dude. Yeah. We'll call it close. Are we done? Call it close. Okay, cool. Thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, no worries, uh, Kyle. And, 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 you know, just to, to let you know, like I... Again, a lot of respect to you for what you were able to do just in the lineup, but also what you do with this stuff. This stuff's pretty cool. I think that there's a, a good listening that can happen, a lot of learning. I've you know, I've been able to listen to your podcast and learn a bit. So always learn, everyone out there. Thanks, man. Yeah. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to play you out with a song by Nate Maingard called Forgivable Gifts. Nate is a musician from Cape Town, South Africa. He listens to this podcast and he sent me some groovy tunes. So I will link to Nate's band page in the show notes underneath this episode. Also, I'm an Amazon affiliate, so if you buy stuff on Amazon and use the portal on my website, kyle.surf, Um, I get a percentage of your purchase at no cost to you. So just in this last month, someone bought acai berry flavored emergency using the link. Someone bought Notori Women's Feathers Hipster Panties. Hmm. Someone bought a copy of Sex at Dawn. Um, So go to the website, kyle.surf, click the book club uh, link, and that's where you will find the portal. Easy way to support me at no cost to you. All right, take a deep breath, give someone a high five, and relax and enjoy this sweet-ass song from Nate Maingard called Forgivable Gifts.
tiptoed around the subject as though we had some things to hide. You fought to hide the truth, and I smiled for your disguise. Now all that we gave up was it truly ours to give? When I gave you heaven and you gave me. Gave me the will to live. I watched you from a distance, a pillow's width away. I watched you from a distance. It was nearer than today. You travel round the world just to avoid my stare. I thank God it's round. I will always, I'll always be right there. Questioned with a touch, and I knew just what you meant. We loved illumination as we shone with all we'd spent. Now all that we gave up was it truly ours to give? When I gave you heaven, and you gave me the will to live. When I gave you heaven, and you gave me, you gave me the will to live. We tiptoed around the subject, but there's nothing left to hide.